Welcome to episode 16 of the Discovering the Male Mysteries podcast. I'm your host, Mel Mystery. Today's episode is the superhero show. I'll be talking about magical superhero archetypes, superheroes that are LGBT in the comics or in real life, why villains have gay voices, and I'll briefly mention some naughty superhero sites that I found on the internet. Before we get into the show, I want to share a few personal news items. My local pagan men's group hosted a cabin retreat back in March. This year's theme was Lost Boys and Neverlands, creating magical connections in a mundane world. We were fortunate enough to have Eric Eldritch of the Radical Fairies and Stone Circle Wicca as our guest host. We talked about finding our tribe, finding the balance between our inner child and inner adult, and how to rediscover that spark of magic within. We had a great time, had great food, learned a bit about ourselves and each other, and we all received Lost Boy names. By the way, I'm now Dreamer Boy. Speaking of retreats and gatherings, I'm disappointed that I won't be going to any this summer or fall. While I'm missing the days of Kafnia and even last year's Between the Worlds gathering, I've really been missing those a lot uh, lately now that the weather has gotten warmer. Between finances and future plans, I've decided this is the summer to knock out my ever-growing to-do list. I'm very motivated to literally get my house in order. I'm looking into my options for selling my house in Norfolk and moving to the country in the fall. In order for this to happen, I need to get my house ready to sell and to continue to declutter my space, especially my shed. I'm also going to need to start looking for a job, as that will be a key factor in allowing me to relocate. At present, I have two major options that I'm looking into. One would be moving to the Farmville area of Central Virginia. This area has two colleges where I might be able to find work, and it seems like it might be a great place to start the campground that I've been talking about. The other option is more personal and would take precedence if I can pull it off. I mentioned before how disappointed and hurt I was when a few years ago my mom sold the house and land where I grew up. The last owner sold the house last fall, and unfortunately, I wasn't in a position to buy. I've been in contact with a new owner, and he is talking about selling it in the fall so he can move closer to his family. Unlike the woman before, he's been very reasonable with the suggested selling price. Still, the only way I could make this work would be to get a job there and to move into the house. If I did this, it would likely delay my campground plans, but it would give me a peace of mind that I haven't had since my mom sold the place a few years ago. I know some people don't understand why this means so much to me. Besides this being my family home for so many decades, as a druid it is important to me because it's a place where I have roots and where I've connected to nature. As an adolescent, I camped in the woods there, climbed the trees, wandered up and down the creeks, caught crayfish and minnows in the creeks, relaxed by the nearby lake, and pondered the stars while lying in the field at night. It's a part of who I am, and when my mom sold the place, it was like a part of me was violently ripped from my spirit and soul. I don't feel like I'll ever be whole or truly happy until I get it back. I'm hoping that the gods and the fates will have mercy on me, and that somehow I'll be able to get my home back and still be able to start my campground. I realize I may not be able to have my cake and eat it too, but I also believe in magic and miracles, so who knows. In other news, I taught a nine-class course on druidology at one of my local pagan shops this past spring. While I've presented workshops in the past, this was my first major attempt at teaching. Things went well, and as far as I can tell, my students enjoyed the class. I will likely present future classes. I'm even considering a course on werewolfery. I may consider offering online classes at some point, too, but not right now. Speaking of werewolves, with all my other involvements and responsibilities, I've not had much of a chance to work on my second gay werewolf book. I'm hoping to get back to that soon, but it all depends on getting some other things knocked out. 
In the meantime, my first book, The Gay Guy's Guide to Werewolves and Other Man Beasts, is available from my Lulu store on Amazon and on Barnes & Noble. If you buy it and like it, I hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. The first book is about LGBT werewolves in mythology, folklore, and history. The second will be a pagan-slash-magical guide to werewolves. And the third will be about LGBT werewolves in popular culture, uh, especially movies and television. I have a lot of material and research done for the second book, but I still need the time to sit down and to start putting it into something useful. That's about it for personal news right now. So sit back and enjoy the show. You do too much. You're not Superman, you know. Many gay and bisexual men, dissatisfied with modern religions that struggle to accept and condone us, are hearing the call of the old gods, those gods and religions of antiquity that embraced us and recognized our inherent spirituality. While modern religions debate our worth as lovers, as priests, as sexual beings, the old gods and the old religions embraced us as sacred. We were their shamans, their priests, the intermediaries between the gods and mankind. Many of the gods themselves were homosexual, bisexual, or transgendered. These gods were untamed, vibrant, and sexual. Accept their call and their healing embrace. These are the Male Mysteries, and I'm your host, Mel Mystery. My local pagan men's group has been exploring the hero archetype this past year. For one of our workshops, I presented a workshop on magical superhero archetypes. I drew heavily from a book I recently read called Our Gods Wear Spandex by Christopher Knowles. Knowles asserts that ancient myths are the comic book stories of their day. They feature supernatural heroes and gods with supernatural powers over certain elements or realms. For example, Neptune had dominion over the sea and its creatures, much like Aquaman. Zeus has power over the sky, similar to Superman or Captain Marvel. Hermes was lightning quick like the Flash. The pantheons of gods could be likened to superhero leagues such as the Justice League or the Avengers. Superhero societies could also be likened to magical secret societies, and superheroes even have secret identities similar to craft names or secret society names. Knowles breaks down superheroes into specific archetypal patterns that take on magical and spiritual roles. One of these archetypes is the Messiah or Savior. These are situational saviors. They're self-sacrificing, altruistic heroes who aren't interested in personal gain. Heroes of this archetype include Superman, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, Submariner, Aquaman, Thor, Hawkman, and Captain America. Another archetype is the Gollum, Shapeshifter, or Protector. These are often anti-heroes. They are protectors, vigilantes, and punishers. Their motivation is often vengeance in the guise of being a protector. They often have a shape-shifting element to them. They are often transformed into something different by technology. Many have a strong armored costume protecting an inner emotional weakness or sense of human helplessness beneath the mask. Such anti-heroes include Batman, Wolverine, The Punisher, Iron Man, The Shadow, The Hulk, The Thing, Daredevil, The Green Arrow, and The Swamp Thing. Magic men and wizards form another archetype. These are magical and mystical superheroes. Their powers come from the magic and the occult. Most superheroes are inherently magical. They have abilities with no basis in real science. Often when their abilities are explained as science, it's really only pseudoscience. Magic men and wizards archetypal heroes include Captain Marvel, Phantasmo, the Green Lantern, Mandrake the Magician, 
Doctor Strange, Doctor Fate, Doctor Occult, Doctor Mystic, Ebus the Invincible, Constantine, and the Phantom. The Mad Scientist is a sub-archetype of the wizard archetype. Mad scientists are usually villains who use science as a form of wizardry. Examples include tech wizards, scientists mixing chemicals in a way similar to alchemists, and so on and so forth. Lex Luthor and Doctor Doom are examples of mad scientists. Strong women heroines often fall into the Amazon or warrior goddess archetype, though they may also overlap with the others. Amazon archetypes include Wonder Woman, Black Widow, the Scarlet Witch, Storm from X-Men, and Elektra. There is also an archetype for brotherhoods and secret societies. These are based on ancient pantheons of gods, secret societies such as the Freemasons, and magical societies such as the Golden Dawn. For those reading the comics books, such societies represent a need for belonging. Hero societies include the Justice League, the Justice Society, the Avengers, the X-Men, the Teen Titans, the Fantastic Four, and the Power Rangers. Beyond the magical and spiritual archetypes themselves, many superheroes are stand-ins for ancient gods. They may have some kind of magical or mythical backstory, or they might have an animal as their symbolic totem. I've already mentioned the possibility that Aquaman and Submariner are Neptune surrogates. They even hail from the mythical city of Atlantis. Flash could be a portrayal of Hermes or Mercury. Gaining his powers from the sun, Superman might be likened to a solar god or sky god. Captain Marvel might also be a solar god with his solar-colored outfit. His power word, Shazam, is an acronym made of the names Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. The superhero Thor is a direct appropriation of the Norse god Thor. His godlike powers are explained as coming from advanced technology in an advanced alien civilization. Hawkman and Hawkgirl have an Egyptian backstory, and Hawkman might actually be equated with the falcon-headed Egyptian god Horus. The Swamp Thing might be a stand-in for the Green Man. Many superheroes have magical and mystical backstories. These include Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, Phantasmo, Mandrake the Magician, Doctor Fate, Doctor Occult, Doctor Mystic, Ibis the Invincible, Constantine, and the Phantom. The Green Lantern wears a magic ring, regardless of whether the ring is really magic or advanced technology. The Scarlet Witch is actually a witch. Wonder Woman is actually an Amazon. A number of superheroes also have animal totems. Batman, Robin, Spider-Man, Black Widow, Black Canary, Hawkman, Wolverine, Black Panther, Catwoman, Ant-Man, and others. More subtle connections between superhero, magic, and myth include the fact that the Hulk is essentially a shapeshifter. He could be likened to a Norse berserker who turns into a fierce bear warrior when worked into a frenzy. Sure, the Hulk is green and not a bear, but he transforms when he's angry. A Celtic warrior called Ku Chulain also transformed into something else when angered. It was said that his jaw would grow large enough to fit another man's head. One eye would shrink and the other would grow larger, and blood would stream from the top of his head. His backstory didn't even include gamma rays. Superman's home planet of Krypton is based on the Greek word Kryptos, which translates as hidden, secret, or occult. Superman's arch-enemy, Lex Luthor, may have been modeled after the occultist, Alasir Crawley. Other pagan-esque and magical heroes who aren't necessarily superheroes include Percy Jackson, Harry Potter, Sam and Dean from Supernatural, the Halliwell sisters from Charmed, and many others. You'll never guess who he wants to be. <laughs> Spider-Man. Why? Well, he knows a hero when he sees one. Too few characters out there flying around like that, saving old girls like me. 
Lord knows, kids like Henry need a hero. Courageous, self-sacrificing people. Setting examples for all of us. Everybody loves a hero. People line up for them, cheer them, scream their names, and years later they'll tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of the one who taught him to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride, even though sometimes we have to be steady and, and give up the thing we want the most. I have to say there's something about superheroes that a number of gay men find erotic. Maybe it's the skin-tight costumes, the secret identities, the homoerotic appeal of their sidekicks, or the vanilla bondage scenes where they get tied up by the villains. Perhaps the threat of being unmasked by villains suggests something sexual. Perhaps as gay people we can also identify with their secret identities and double lives. There's a whole Wikipedia page of 130 LGBT superheroes and a slideshow on Advocate.com listed 52 LGBT superheroes. Rather than listing them all here, I'm going to highlight just a few of them. I'll put the links in the show notes where you can browse them all if you're interested. Some well-known superheroes that you may or may not have realized were LGBT include Catwoman. She's lesbian and or bisexual. The Green Lantern. Deadpool is bi. Iceman, John Constantine is also bi, Harley Quinn is bi, Sarah Lance, uh, the Black Canary is bi. Some LGBT-specific heroes you may or may not have heard of include Midnighter, Apollo, Wiccan, and the Ultimate Colossus. Some confirmed LGB celebrities who play superheroes include Colton Haynes, who played Roy slash Arsenal on Arrow, Keenan Lonsdale, who played Wally West, Kid Flash on The Flash, and David Yost, who played Billy in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Some confirmed LGBT villains from the CW shows include John Barrowman and Wentworth Miller, who played the villains Malcolm Merlin and Captain Cold, respectively. Sir Ian McKellen is also gay, and he played Magneto in the X-Men movies. I've done some online searching, uh, for research purposes, of course, for original gay superhero porn, and it's really hit or miss. Dedicated superhero sites include Eye of the Cyclone and Hero in Trouble. Min.com also has a large number of superhero parody scenes, including Arrow, Flash, the X-Men, and the Justice League. They also have some Tarzan and some Star Wars scenes. A number of other sites include some superhero scenes, but they really aren't dedicated to the genre. There are a number of straight superhero porn sites, too. Many of them feature straight scenes with both men and women. Much of the gay superhero material online is made up of artwork and photo manipulations on such sites as Tumblr and DeviantArt, and there's also a number of gay and straight amateur clips on the clip sites. Who were some of my favorite superheroes that I have a crush on? Uh, Stephen Amell from Arrow. Colton Haynes, also from Arrow. Andrew Garfield, who played Spider-Man. Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Tom Welling in Smallville. Billy Zane as The Phantom. Chris O'Donnell as Robin in the Batman and Robin movies, James Marsden as Cyclops, and Sean Ashmore as Iceman in the X-Men, and Ryan Reynolds as the Green Lantern.
Why do so many animated villains have stereotypical gay voices and mannerisms? That's something you may have noticed but not really thought much about. A 2014 documentary titled Do I Sound Gay by David Thorpe explored a surprising number of animated villains with gay voices and mannerisms and apparently a thing for extravagant hats. Disney films were mentioned specifically, but Disney isn't the only studio to do this. Some of these villains include King Candy from Wreck-It Ralph, Jafar from Aladdin, Governor Ratcliffe from Pocahontas, Hades from Hercules, Scar from The Lion King, Captain Hook from Peter Pan, and Shere Khan from The Jungle Book. The Little Mermaid's Ursula also fits the stereotype, not as a female villain, but as a drag queen stand-in. She is vain, has a husky male voice, and wears excessive makeup. She was supposedly modeled after the famous drag queen, Divine. Lesbian-inspired villains do exist, but they are harder to distinguish. Some have suggested Maleficent, Cruella de Vil, and the Evil Queen fit lesbian stereotypes. According to Thorpe, effete, aristocratic, effeminate men have been depicted as villains for a very long time. Even before the animated films, Hollywood's effeminate villains have included Waldo Lidecker in 1944's newer film, Laura, and Addison DeWitt in the 1950 drama All About Eve. Gay male stereotypes used in depicting villains include femininity, talking with a lisp, being flamboyant, being vain, sassiness, and being sensual or sexual. Lesbian stereotypes include masculinity, deep voices, and brash personalities. Depicting villainous characteristics as gay has been a film trope since at least the 1940s. In a way, it's kind of a social coding. The sissy villain is a sign of immorality, which in turn assigns real-life people with these traits as villainous. Since these stereotypes are introduced to children at a very early age, since they are repeated often, and since there aren't as many counterpointing gay acting heroes, the idea of gay people being villains is reinforced in society. These stereotypes can also reinforce internalized homophobia in gay youth. Gay villains have also been depicted in recent children's television shows. Two Nickelodeon superhero shows have included gay, or at least gay-coded, villains. Henry Danger is a show about a teenager who becomes the sidekick for an indestructible superhero called Captain Man. Captain Man is a stereotypically masculine hero, and his headquarters is the stereotypically named Man Cave. The teenager becomes known by the superhero name Kid Danger. There's a great deal of sexual innuendo in the show along with gendered jokes. One of the villains on the show, Frankini, has spiked bleached hair, whereas obvious guy liner has an edgy fashion sense, including shiny jackets and purple and pink clothes, and he's supposedly a dancer. In one two-part episode, he captures our two heroes, ties them up, and threatens to unmask them when his podcast reaches 10 million viewers. The Thundermans is another Nickelodeon superhero show about a family of superheroes who are leading a double life as ordinary citizens in the town of Hiddenville. The oldest son, Max, has the aspiration to be a villain, though his parents insist it's only a phase. At some point before the show started, the parents, Thunderman and Electris, turned their arch-enemy, Dr. Colosso, into a talking rabbit and put the rabbit into Max's care. Max and Dr. Colosso have a great friendship, but there's also homoerotic overtones to their friendship. Dr. Colosso speaks with a stereotypically gay voice, he's into costumes, he's incredibly jealous and possessive of Max, and he even says and does things that overtly hint that his interest in Max is more than platonic. There's also a hint of pederasty here. He's Max's mentor in his quest to become a supervillain, but he's also depicted as a late middle-aged, gray-haired, well-dressed, gay uncle type the few times he's been changed back to a human in the series. You see, boys... 
The world record for the greatest number of people watching a live stream is 9.8 million. And I am going to smash that record by live streaming video of the two of you doing all sorts of silly and embarrassing activities. Great plan, is that all? I am so glad I made you ask that. To make sure we have as many viewers as possible, I'm going to promise everyone a special treat. Well, what's a special treat? Hold on one second. You already know what it is! <sighs> but I'll say it anyway. When we get to 10 million viewers, the two of you are going to tear off your masks and reveal your true identities to the world. <laughs> hey, for dinner, can we have pork and beans? Yes and yes! <laughs> and now, how about a little pre-live stream fun? Do you boys like musical theater? Three little mates from school are we? Bert is a schoolgirl, well can be. Filled to the brim with girlish glee. Three little mates from school. Everything is a source of fun. <laughs> Nobody's safe, but we care for none. <laughs> Life is a joke that's just begun. <laughs> oh, three little mates who all unwary come from the ladies' seminary. Free from his genius to Larry. Thanks for listening to today's show. For additional information, including show notes and links to my bookstore and blog, please visit my website at www.melmystery.com. That's www.melmystery.com. If you have original poetry, music, or group or event to share, please let me know, and I'll consider featuring it on my website, blog, or in an upcoming podcast. Tomorrow, same bat time, same bat channel.